This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. There's like a palpable hunger here tonight. And I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed because he's just that good. You may even be curious where this hunger came from. It's probably from him. Such a special time. Like, thank you, every single person in here, for letting your hearts go to the place that it did in in thanksgiving and praise and worship. Like, you don't have to command your soul to praise. Nobody has to. It's the beauty of free will. You can do whatever you want. But to have a group, a family of sons and daughters that look at their dad and say, this is worth me engaging in my love and my affection. And it just blesses my heart. It's like, this is where I want to be. <sighs> and if you enjoyed that time, then <sighs> this is probably not the perfect definition of it, but I feel like God has wanted to teach us how not to just let this be a moment, but to let that be a lifestyle that no circumstance that we're facing could ever become louder than our praise for him. And even when it doesn't feel great, we can still learn to train our, uh, no, everything inside me, thank you, God, for who you are. You are my king. It seems silly, but like sometimes even traffic can become our king. It's wild. Um, but I just want him to carry us, so... Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to uh, Romans chapter 12. And as you do that, um, let's just keep our hearts open to the Holy Spirit. Because I would hate for us to go to a familiar passage in Scripture and let it be familiar when He's trying to tell us something brand new. Or be something brand new for us. That'd be awesome. So Romans chapter 12. Um, actually, let me back up a little bit just for you guys. Uh, so Romans 12, 1 and 2 are familiar. It talks about, therefore, brethren, I beseech you. Paul is begging us. He's like, please, I'm begging you to present your bodies in light of his mercies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. He's begging them. But before he ever begs, he explains this in Romans chapter 11, verse 36. This is the Passion Translation. Because the New King James is really simple. It's like everything's to him, from him, for him, by him. It's like very simple. But this is the Passion Translation. It says like this. For out of him, the sustainer of everything came everything. And now everything, that's me and you, finds fulfillment in him. May all praise and honor be given to him forever. Amen. So everything finds fulfillment in him. Out of him, the sustainer of everything, came everything. And everything finds fulfillment in him. For me, that really blessed me because it makes much more sense to be like, okay, now, since I know that everything finds fulfillment in him, it makes sense for me to worship him. Um, to, when, once we start to understand that anything that we try to do apart from him, it will never be fulfilling. It may be fun. It may even feel great. But when we start to separate, okay, I don't want to do this without you. It cannot be fulfilling because everything finds fulfillment in him. I, t- I talked about traffic to be really 100% transparent. 
the other day I woke up and I got up early. I was going to go to the gym and I was going to go to the gym before the sun came up so I can go to work early and stuff. And I felt like God was like, no, get on the road, go straight to work. And I was like, okay, I listen to the Holy Spirit. I'll go with you. Get on the road, maybe make it 13 feet and hit dead stop traffic on 29 and then dead stop traffic on 66. People aren't even pretending to move forward. And I was like, God, I knew I shouldn't listen to you. I was like, what, what is the point? Like, why, why would you tell me to do this? And I realized, oh my gosh, we have so much time alone in the car together. And I was like, I put up my hand. I was like, pretended to hold hands with him. We started listening to different songs. And I started, and by the time I got out of the car, I, I, I was more in love with him than when I got in. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could sit here and see this traffic jam as a thing that's like against me. How dare it? But what I did, but, but the thing is, we, I know a lot of us have been there. How dare that car cut me off? How dare I be late? How dare this happen to me? But I, even though it feels great to like, at somebody, I'm telling you, it doesn't feel fulfilling. Where I sat in the same traffic, but when I got out, I was like almost drunk in how much I loved him. I, it felt so much more fulfilling where something was like, could have been annoying. Because everything finds fulfillment in him. So if I tried to go through traffic without him, then I'll never have that fulfillment. Um, this is not a traffic talk though, so we'll keep going. So Colossians, Colossians 1 verse 17 says it like this. Um, in this passage translation again, he existed before anything was made and now everything finds completion in him. I think New King James says it, and, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So anything we try to do without him, it can never feel, truly feel f- fulfilling. Like going to work, going to the gym, uh, taking care of your house, parenting, even food you eat. You try and do it apart from him, and it may taste good and look good and feel good, but something about it will be missing. It won't fulfill you because in him we find completion. Everything finds completion in him. And that word in the New King James where it says that in him all things consist, the word consist means to unite parts into one whole. So everything is made whole in him. This is a juicy invitation. This is like a free coupon to be made whole. I mean, it cost him, but another definition for consist is, so to unite parts into one whole, another one is to put together. So everything is put together when we pretend really well and wear a mask and say, everything's good, brother. (laughs) No, everything's put together in him. Listen, don't get me wrong. I love having my stuff put together. Believe me. I, yeah, I'm glad it's not just me. Thank you, Jesus. I thought it was going to be just me. But no, seriously, I love when things are falling apart. One of, the, one of my greatest things I hold on to is at least I have dimples and can smile and pretend everything's okay. People are like, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, decent, <laughs> you know? But I, if I can pretend it's okay, it's fine, right? But here's the thing is, in him, all things are put together. So what if having it all together wasn't just an act? What if it was an act of worship? Just imagine with me, if we didn't have to pretend, if we didn't put on a mask to pretend like everything is okay, but we got to put it on an altar when everything's falling apart. Imagine what that would be like if we didn't have to hide when our hearts was in shambles, when things were crushing us, when we're surrounded, when we're stressed, we're overwhelmed. I won't go into all that. 
I'll go into that. Suicidal thoughts, depression, different things, where anxiety, things that we feel like, I don't know what to do with this, but I also don't know how to share it. And we feel like we need to put a mask up and pretend. What if we just took a heart that was falling apart and said, here you go, God, and just slapped it on the altar and said, it's not together, but you can have it. It's a living, squirming sacrifice. In light of your mercies and all you've done for me, because I was built for this, I choose to lay it right here, not together. Why? Because it'll come together. I would rather you hold it together than me pretend to. (sighs) (sighs) What if? What if we didn't have to put a mask on, but we we put it on the altar, a living, squirming um, sacrifice. That's worship. That's literally what Romans 12, uh, Romans 12, 1 says. It's like, this is the, this is your true service. This is your true definition of worship is a living sacrifice. That's what happens next. And it's crazy because outside of the fundamental principle that everything finds fulfillment in him, I used to read this verse saying, be a living sacrifice as a chore. It used to be like, Hey, lay down and die. And on top of that, it better be holding and it, it, it better be acceptable. You better get squeaky clean and then lay down and die. That was a chore for me. Outside, out of the context of I was built to be complete in him. It sounds like a chore. But, but in the context, it's not lay down and die. It's lay down and live. Lay down and live. You try and save your life and you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, you'll save it. He's saying lay down your life and live. We, we can try and preserve our lives. In fact, that's like, the, that's like the, the, the kind of feel of where the world is at right now. No judgment, please don't, don't go into judgment with this one. But you go and look at some of the things that we just mentioned, anxiety, depression. You look at this stuff and you Google it and you'll find self-help books. Preserve your life. Self-love seminars. Come on, just love yourself more. Uh, be yourself. You, you, no matter how God made you, you can be whatever you want to be. Love whoever you want to love. There's an encouragement to do whatever feels right to you. It feels right. This is today's age. Like when, when, it, when it talks about Romans 12, 1 and 2, being a living sacrifice, and it says, don't be conformed to this world. That this, this is the age we're in. This is the culture that surrounds us is do what feels right. Preserve your own life. And, it, and doing what feels right, this is the tricky thing. Oh my goodness. Doing what feels right actually feels right. Doing what feels right actually makes a bunch of sense. Like to me, it makes a bunch of sense. Outside of the context of this fundamental principle that he built us to be fulfilled in him. Everything was built and everything finds completion in him. So if you take that out, you take the foundation of why we're existing right now out of it, then yeah, doing what feels right makes sense. There's a huge difference I won't say that yet. We'll keep, we'll keep going. Stick to the nose, all right? Uh, one of those things was, uh, one of the definitions for consist, everything finds completion in him. One of those definitions was to unite parts into one whole. There are people that are doing what feels right to them and they don't feel whole. There are people who are doing self-help books and stuff. And I'm not, against, I'm not necessarily against that. But if your hope is wholeness, it's not there. There's only one place, and that's Colossians 1.17, that everything finds completion in him. So me going outside of him to find completion, is it may feel right, it may even work for a little bit, but at the end of the day, I will not find wholeness in that. And that's not me, yeah, that's not me beating you guys up. I'm just saying, goodness gracious, I looked for it for a long time, couldn't find it. Now I find it in him, it's so easy, it's like a piggyback ride. 
Oh, okay, let me slow down, let me slow down. I'm getting excited, okay. There's a difference between what feels great and what actually fulfills. When I'm being hit from all sides, when I'm being crushed, when I'm completely overwhelmed, stressed to the point of death, scared to admit it, hiding feels great. Wearing a mask feels awesome. When you're crushed with anguish to the point of death, coping and escaping feels so nice. But there's a difference between what feels great and what actually fulfills. And, and my, one, of my, one of my best friends, um, can I tell you guys a story about this? One of, my, one of my best friends did this really well. He was crushed to the point of anguish. And he was um, walking through this time where he's, you know, crushed, surrounded, crushed. I mean, crushed on crushed, the most crushed you could ever be. And um, he walked through it in such a way that he, he kind of explains the difference between what feels great and actually fulfilling stuff. Um, and he gave, I asked him if it's okay to share. He said, yes. Um, so turn your Bibles to Matthew 26. We're going to read about my best friend. 26 verse 36. I'm going to read out the NLT. Praise the... That's a lot of words, <laughs> man. Um, I'll read it to you guys. Don't worry. Um, then Jesus went... My best friend's Jesus, so I, I don't know if I told you. Um, so this is him. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane and said, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. This is Jesus talking. He went on a little further, bowed down with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will done, not mine. So we have Jesus crushed, distressed with anguish to the point of death. Does not feel great. I wrote it. Why didn't he just run out of there? Why wasn't Jesus looking for a way out? Because I'm not, I'm not trying to be, um, I'm not trying to patronize you. I'm trying to be like, put yourselves in my best friend's shoes. Has anyone ever been crushed to the point of anguish? And they just beg God, get me out of here. Has anyone ever been surrounded, stressed, like so? I mean, you have to think the context of this verse is he's about to go to the cross to die and he knows it. He knows that people betrayed him. He knows they're on their way right now. And he, and he goes to this garden of Gethsemane, which we'll get to later. But he's sitting there and he's like thinking about this was what happened. And his heart is crushed to the point of anguish. And he's overwhelmed. Anyone ever been there? Why wouldn't he like pray what we pray, which is like, just get me out of this. Take this away. Well, he kind of did, but he said, God, let your will be done, not mine. Here's why. But you want to keep reading. Uh, in 53, it says this. Because what happened was he prayed three times. The uh, disciples fell asleep. And then the people came to get him. And when they came, Peter came out with a sword. They came to get him with swords and clubs and stuff. And Peter came out with a sword and he chopped the dude's ear off because he was trying to protect Jesus like a real homie would. I love Peter. But Jesus' response was crazy. He says, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us? Let me say it like this. Don't you realize I could preserve my own life? And he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scripture be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? 
So he's crushed the point of anger. doesn't feel great at all. But Peter's like, no, let's save Jesus. And Jesus is like, listen, I could save myself. I could call dozens of legions of angels right now. My father would send it, but I'm not here to preserve my own life. I'm not here to protect my life. I'm here to honor the purpose on it. And it doesn't feel great, but there's a purpose on my life. I know we don't like that one too much. That's okay. He says, I'm not here to protect my life. I'm here to fulfill my purpose. Some of us are trying to protect things in our hearts that don't line up with our purpose. Preserve things in our hearts that don't line up with our purpose. Listen, I'm not trying to beat you guys up. I just think that it's so crazy. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane, the direct translation actually is, um, I don't want to mess this up. It's two words. It is oil press. That's the direct translation. An oil press. So if you're in this garden, it's, it's a garden that's made to press and create oil, which is representative of the anointing. So they're creating and they would take anointing and put it on people. So here you have the anointed one in his anointing in the garden where they create anointing. And the process in which they create anointing is taking olives and crushing them and grounding them. So he's in the place. And the purpose of this place is to crush and to ground stuff into, and you have the anointed one being crushed and ground. He's living in the purpose of this. It'd be like going to a gym and picking up weights and going, why are these so heavy? It's like, that's the point. (laughs) He was being crushed in the place of crushing the anointed one and his anointing. Why would he want to escape that? Some of us are being crushed and we're like, God, save me from here. And we don't even know that he may be trying to do something in us that lines up with our purpose. I'm not saying God sends bad things our ways, but I'm saying he doesn't waste anything. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We're trying to dodge his purpose sometimes because we don't like it because it's uncomfortable. And I'm not sitting here saying, like, I'm not, I'm not painting it as rainbows and sunshines. I'm telling you to this point, like today, like I had moments where I was like, I don't want to get up here and do this. I'm crushed the point of anguish myself. But he had something bigger. Yeah. And he had a grace to carry me through it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Does that make sense? <sighs> good, good, good. So some of us are trying to protect things in our heart that, that don't actually line up with our purpose. It's whack. Maybe being crushed is not such a bad thing. Maybe death is not the end of the story. Maybe death is a doorway. Maybe death is a prerequisite for transformation. Maybe that's why before it says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. It says, be a living sacrifice. Maybe there's something to the order of this scripture and how it's laid out. Because we love the, I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. But some of us are having trouble being renewed in our mind because we're not willing to lay stuff down and let it die. And some of us are having trouble not letting things die because we don't understand that this is the foundation of our fulfillment is that everything finds completion in him. So maybe... Being crushed is not such a bad thing. <sighs> Romans 12, 2 verse, yeah, Romans 12, 2 and uh, the New King James Version says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That way you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's hard for me sometimes in prayer because I ask God, what is your will? What's your will for this day? What's your will for this moment? And sometimes I have trouble hearing him. And sometimes it's like, it's weird because we get this wrestling match where I'm like, God, you see my heart is pure. I just want to hear your voice, right? You know, I want your will. But sometimes I have trouble with his will because I'm not actually willing to lay some things down. I let go of some things. I drop some things. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a works program. It's not like you can earn it. But 
if you think about a caterpillar and a butterfly, this whole idea of being transformed, there's a huge difference between being conformed and transformed. The idea of being conformed is the, the word in, in the original language is to mold or to shape. It's like, imagine if I took this water, it's in the shape of a bottle now, but if I poured it on the ground, it would be in the shape of, it'd be flatter, right? It would take the shape of whatever it's in. That's conformed. If I take a piece of Play-Doh and I put my hands in it, it would take the shape of my fingerprints and my thumbs if I press it. That's conformed. It's still Play-Doh. It's still water, but it looks different. I had a friend when I was, I went away to school and I went away to Peru and I came back after years and he was dating a different person, probably like three different people, but he had the same issues he had when we were kids. It was a different girlfriend, same guy, different, different look, but same issues. There was a, it was no transformation. There was no actual growth. There's a difference between us changing. There's a difference between decorating and renovating. We can decorate this stuff with Christmas stuff or we can knock this down. There's a difference between a caterpillar and a, you cannot, I've never in my life seen a caterpillar and a butterfly exist at the same time. Like, like if it's a caterpillar, it's a caterpillar. Once it's a butterfly, you don't see any more caterpillar. One has to die so you can have the other one. This idea of trans, it's funny, you, you hear about transformation, we're like, yeah, yeah, transformation. But there's a reason why transformation comes after. I beseech you, please present your body as a living sacrifice. It's not a chore. It's a lay down so you can live. Is this making sense? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Okay. What were we talking about? Transformation? There's a difference? Oh, yeah. It's funny that I said uh, decoration and, and renovation because the next part of that is don't be conformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One of the definitions for renewing is simply that, renovation. So don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renovation of your mind. Not the decoration of your mind. Some of us just want to paint things God is trying to destroy. We just want to hang a Christian scripture on it. That's my thorn in my side, God. He said, well, then why did I get pierced in mine? Okay, let's just relax. It's too deep, too deep, too fast. Okay. So that's transformation, that's renewal. Okay, but let's just get into practically. Before we go, I just want to get into some practical stuff. So this is good, right? Everyone's getting it, right? But I'll say, this is not a momentary thing on a Wednesday night, but this is a lifestyle of worship. It's a living sacrifice, right? So before we get into like the real practical, actually, how do we walk this out in our day-to-day lives? Although I think this is juicy enough just to go home with right now. Honestly, after Asia was singing, I was like, that's enough for me. Just, we did it. We worship. That's fine. But uh, I, be like, I feel like God wants to actually help us do this from moment to moment. But from my heart specifically, I want to talk about why it's important. Because I've been pondering this idea of eternity and like infinity a lot recently. For I don't know why, but it's just been getting me really excited. And I started to realize something that the majority of our lives we're actually going to spend in heaven. Like if this is our life right here, like if this is a, I don't, I'm sorry if you're listening to the recording, but if this is our life right here, this is my life. I was born right here in the top of this bottle and I was, and I die right here. This is like, let's give it 85, 90 years. Okay. Healthy, good years. Then this is the rest of eternity is the rest of the stage here. Okay. This is like my first 
hundred years in heaven, second, you know, we're at a thousand years over here, a bajillion years down here. And like, that's my life down here. The majority of my existence is going to be here in heaven, worshiping God. And the terrible, scary thing about that for me is that in heaven, there are no stressors. There is no anxiety. There are no family members who like, like losing a family member or broken hearts. There is no depression or suicidal thoughts. So this is my only chance I get to come and worship him while I still am anxious. I have a small window right here, this little bit of eternity. I can say, I'm overwhelmed. I'm crushed to the point of anguish, but not my will, but yours be done. This is the only chance we'll get to worship him. We can't see this man with eyes like fire, like right in front of our face. You see what I'm saying? Because once we get to heaven, we'll see him and that'll be that. This is all we got. Sometimes I see about me and Rafa talk about this a lot. We'll be going through some stuff and like our hearts are breaking. Like we had a middle school sleepover or like a high school, whatever, a union sleepover this weekend. And we're playing Dodge was like 1.59 in the morning. If parents ask, probably closer to two. Um, and we're going crazy and, and, and like we don't sleep. We're sleeping on the ground. We woke up like crippled. We had to wheelchair each other out of there. And it's like, we're eating like disgusting food. Like it was terrible. It, like every, it cost us everything to be there. But I thought to myself, I was like, this is the only chance we'll get to like lay down. Like, there's not, we're not going to have this chance in heaven. To really like give up a, like a sleeping bag for a kid and see him like, see, you know what I'm saying? Like, to do these things that cost us or sit. There's no traffic in heaven. There's no 66 in heaven. What in the world? This is the only chance you get to sit with God in traffic in heaven. This is it. We miss it. This is one little glimpse and the rest of our eternity, we don't get to do this ever again. So why waste that on, oh, this is so hard for me. No, I'm sorry. That sounds rude. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful. I really don't want to be, I really don't. I really don't. I'm, I, I take the, I, I apologize. That's offensive. I understand there's things in our hearts that are really, really heavy and they're really, really difficult, but let's not use them as an excuse not to worship. Let's use them as an excuse to say, God, look at this precious thing I could bring you. We want to so often say, well, my trauma is so big. I have a free pass to not worship you. But you could have trauma so big that only you could bring it to him and bless his heart with it. No one else could. <sighs> this is it. That's what. That's kind of like my heart for before we go into the practical stuff. Is like there we not we're not going to get another chance besides this one. A broken nail, anything, stub your toe. Thank God. There's no stub toes in heaven. You next time you stub your toe, you thank God. This is my only chance to praise you with a stub toe. You get a toothache. I thank you, God. I got teeth. I'm thank you, God, I have teeth to even ache. <sighs> I lost my sense of smell for a little bit, and there were some stinky farts I avoided. I thank God every time I knew someone was farting in the room. So thank you, God. So thank you, God, I can't smell. I was complaining for a while, but I was like, no, I know this food is bad. I know it tastes bad. I can see it. Thank you, God, I can't taste this food. I know who cooked this food. Just smiling. With. Anyways, there. Not, not Megan. Not Megan. My wife is a great cook. No, no, not her. No, no, no. Baby, I love you so much on this. <laughs> um, no, okay, does that make sense? That's kind of the heart before we go into the practical stuff. And I'll wrap it up with this. If you want to know a real practical picture of how um, we can walk this out, let's learn from the people who did it really terribly. Um, and that's in Romans chapter one, verse 19 uh, through 23. Basically, what the verse is explaining here... Uh, before we get into it, was God was basically saying he gave everyone an opportunity to know him. It was very clear who he was. And even though they had the chance to know him and have a relationship with him, they kind of flushed it down the toilet. You can put it up there. Sorry, I didn't bring my new king names. Excuse me. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This is them. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Let's just pause there for a second. I want to go there. Um, but basically here's what happens. They had an opportunity to know God, but because they weren't, they didn't glorify God, they didn't worship God, they, they stopped being thankful. Their hearts became dark. Their minds became dark. Their thoughts became futile about God. Okay, we keep going. 22, yeah. Professing to be wise, but uh, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Is that all I gave you? Praise God. We made it through it. Thank you, Jesus, for reading in school. Okay. So here's this picture of what it looks like. The second we stop worshiping God, the second we stop um, giving thanks to God and glorifying him, we think we just stop worshiping, but we don't. We can't stop worshiping. When we stop worshiping God, we'll start worshiping creation. And when we do that, that's when our, my, my, um, my Bible says it like this, um, my uh, new, what is this called? NLT? New Living Translation? You know, you know acronyms. My Bible says it like this. Yes, they knew God, but they, they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they, um, they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Sometimes... I get like that with God where my, my relationship with him starts to get kind of confusing and dark. And I realize like I stopped worshiping him. <sighs> so I'll tell you, it sounds so simple, but sometimes what I do, like I go to the fridge and there's no food I like in it. And I start to think I get indignant. How dare you food not be here that I want. And it starts, I start to get like my heart gets dark or whatever. You, something, you can put whatever, but I stopped and I said, you know, thank you God. I have a fridge to even have empty. Use Thanksgiving as an anchor to keep you locked into, oh my gosh, I'm here to worship God and not the creation. Because the second that we start to worship creation, when that's taken away, when that's affected, it'll destroy us. I'll tell you this story. I gave, I gave, before I do, what happened for these guys in the Bible is they traded the truth about God for a lie. They traded this incredible God we sang about for like a golden calf. The, and we look at it saying, I would never worship a golden cow, but there are some idols we have in our life we don't even realize. This pre, the reason I found this out personally and I want to share with you guys is because one day, I think it was a Friday, I was talking to my friend and I was just getting st- stirred up and I, I prayed this thing. I don't know why, I just was feeling it. You know, you ever talk to somebody who's on fire for God and you're like, yeah, yeah, God, do whatever you want to do and you regret it later. Like, that's where I was. I was on the phone. I was like, God, do whatever you want to do. I said, God, expose any idols in my life so I can burn them in front of you. And I was like, just feeling it. And the next day what happened, I woke up and I was super stressed. I was so overwhelmed. And I was like, but you know what? I'm going to make breakfast for Megan. I got the plan. I'll do the waffles. I'll do the bacon. Let her sleep. I'll watch the boys. This is my plan. Sometimes when I'm stressed, I try and take care of other people. But anyways, I'm trying to do that. I go to the fridge. The food wasn't there. I needed. I think the bacon expired and I didn't have eggs or something like that. I don't know what happened. So I was like, don't worry. Chick-fil-A breakfast. I still got 15 minutes. I make my way over Chick-fil-A. I get there. 
I'm five minutes early and the Holy Spirit says, take the left line. I say, I hear your voice, God. This is the Christian chicken of the Lord. I'm gonna go on the left line. Get in the left line, nobody moves. Five minutes go by. In fact, the person in the right lane made it through all their cars and was standing at my car looking at me. And I was like, I need to do this before breakfast is over or I'm, my family's not going to eat Chick-fil-A breakfast. <laughs> and I'm stressing, I'm sweating and I'm mad because I see these people taking too long on the left side. And I start getting mad at God. I said, God, you told me to go on this lane. You better. And I asked the lady and she's like, I'm sorry, Chick-fil-A, where breakfast is done. And I was like, this can't be true. I was like, radio in to see if they have anything left over. And she pretended to radio in. The, I was, I'd never seen anyone in front of me and pretend to radio in. <laughs> I was like, you're telling me you perfect. I didn't say this out loud. This is within myself. I was like, oh, thank you. The dimples. I was like, oh, thank you so much. But, but, but in me, I was like, you're telling me you perfectly planned out breakfast for hundreds of people that the second 1030 hits that you just don't have any minis for me and my family. And she was like, no, we don't have any. I was like, okay, I'll go home. And I was livid. I was embarrassingly mad. I went home and I sat on my floor and I sozoed myself. I was like, God, I forgive her. I bless her. I bless the people in there. I was like, I was like ready to take communion. And I was sitting there and I was like, I blessed her. And I still was mad. After doing all that, I blessed her. I forgave her. I released her of all harm. I broke any unhealthy soul ties. I did it all. I was going through full healing right there in my kitchen on my floor. And I was mad still. And I said, God, what is this? And he said, it's an idol. He said, it's an idol. He said, when things fall apart, you run to fast food because it's an easy fix. When you're stressed, it doesn't matter. As long as you have it, it'll help you get through that moment. I said, golly, I should have never gave you permission to poke at these idols. <sighs> See, we, when we stop worshiping, I'll read this. They trade the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things of God, God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. They worshiped and served the things of God created instead of the creator himself. I was sitting there doing that. I was sitting there sacrificing, being a living sacrifice for Chick-fil-A breakfast instead of my creator. No shame, no condemnation, but I just want to paint the picture that when we stop worshiping God, we don't stop worshiping. We're always worshiping. We're always serving. We're built for it. But there is one end that's very clear. And if we worship creation, it ends like this. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. And the other one is this. Their minds were renewed and they were able to prove and know and experience what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we worship him, we're invited into his will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. When we worship creation, our hearts and our minds be so dark and confused. So if you're ever in a place where it's like, ah, I'm having trouble worshiping God, I'm having trouble um, uh, bringing, you know, I don't know. It could be small, it could be huge. My encouragement would be, where's your thanksgiving gone? Like, have you stopped thanking God? Have you stopped worshiping God? Have you stopped glorifying him? Have you traded the truth about God for a lie? And these are not checklists like check oil. This is not like an accusatory thing. This is an invitation to take an idol that you've, you've been worshiping and say, I don't want dark and confused heart. I would rather a renewed heart, a renovated heart. Because when I sat there on my, this is so embarrassing. When I sat there on my, on my floor, <laughs> you know, upset at this Chick-fil-A lady, he renovated my heart. I had to let go of Chick-fil-A being my savior. I fasted Chick-fil-A. 
But it wasn't because I was doing a religious thing. It was because God said, I have something better for you. I want to carry you through these stressful things. If you're feeling crushed, I led you to that line. I'm trying to get rid of these idols. We read that verse about, oh no, I'll just say this and be done. We read that verse about new wineskins and, and the new sweater patches where God's like, you can't put new wine in an old wineskin because it'll ruin it. You can't put an unshrunken patch on a hole on an old sweater because once it shrinks, it'll rip it and there'll be an even worse hole. You know, the context of that conversation was people coming up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, how come we fast twice a week and your people don't? Me and John the Baptist, we are fasting twice a week and we guys don't. And God's response was, listen, the bridegroom's here with you now. There'll come a time where I'm not with you. And it did. The second he left, what do you think they were doing in the upper room? They immediately fasted. But I'm here now. There's no purpose of it. And then, then he started addressing Judaism. He was like, if you take these new things I'm trying to bring into your life, they'll actually destroy the entire purpose. You'll go through fasting and it won't fulfill you. You'll do all this fast twice a week and it won't fulfill you, which I was doing. You'll still have idols. In fact, your fast will become your idols. You can't take this new stuff and this old stuff. You got to pick. I either want the new stuff, I want the old stuff, and then allow him to renovate your heart from there. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercies. We thank you for modeling what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. Oh, we thank you, God, that we were created for your glory. We were built for it. We were created to glorify you. And we thank you so much that you've been so gracious and kind and patient with us as we fumble through figuring that out. You have been so patient with me as I worship everything else but you. But here we are, God, and we ask for your help. Take us by the hand and walk us through moment by moment what it looks like to live a lifestyle of worshiping and glorifying you. God, if there's any part of our heart that's become futile, become dark or confused, I thank you for renovating it now in Jesus' name. We are willing to lay it down, to lay it down so that we can live. We, do not, we refuse to be our own savior and preserve our own lives. We say, we'll lose our life for your sake. We'll lose it all for your sake. If there's any idols we have, if you feel safe doing this, we give you permission to just poke at them, expose them. Take us in this little line of Chick-fil-A, see what we do, see if we start squirming. And as things squirm, God, thank you for the opportunity. This is the only chance we'll get before we get to heaven to bring it to you as a living, squirming sacrifice. We let you be enough for us now. In Jesus' name. I, I don't know why, I just feel this. I just thank you for your grace. I pray your grace over everyone. Thank you, Jesus for your grace. You know what? Listen, goodness gracious, God. John 4, you say that we're to worship in spirit and truth, which means we can't even worship unless it's in you who are spirit and in you who are truth. We can't even bring you a living sacrifice unless it's by your grace. It's wrapped up in who you are. So I thank you for people who walk in the spirit and who walk in truth, who moment by moment say, oh, I'm just going to be in the spirit. And because of that, they're living. It's only by you we're able to worship. What in the world do we thank you for grace? I can't believe I almost forgot about grace. Thank you for your grace to even worship you. Goodness gracious. If we're not worshiping because of the church, we're worshiping because your spirit is here and your truth is here. And we worship in spirit and we worship in truth. Oh, you're good, God, in Jesus' name. Golly. Amen.